Hey, this is Richard Campbell. Just a quick reminder that this show was recorded way back in early February before the pandemic had really spread. And so there's really no mention of it whatsoever. Our shows in May will include more pandemic conversation. From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 686, Azure DevOps for Ops, with guest Michael Levin, recorded Saturday, February 22nd, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. We've got a brand new guest today. His name is Michael Bevan, and he's a tech enthusiast and engineer at heart. He's the chief engineer and principal DevOps consultant at clouddev.engineering, LLC. Michael loves all things automation, cloud, and development. And when he's not working on DevOps and cloud awesomeness, he enjoys spending time with his son, his girlfriend, and breweries. Welcome to the show, sir. How's it going, Richard? Thank you so much for having me. Ah, no problem. Uh, things are great. You know, we're, we're making the podcast thing just past... Wow, year 13, right? First That's episode nuts. was April 7th, 2007, and here we are at the end of April 2020. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, persistence pays off Why every, <laughs> every Wednesday, no matter what. There you go, there you go. So, uh, I, you know, we do DevOps shows every so often talking about different aspects. I, it feels more mature now than ever before, you know, that, that DevOps is becoming just the way we do things now. It's not a weird thing for only the unicorns to get to do. Right. Yeah, it, it's definitely matured over the years and, and not only matured, but changed, right? You know, when it was coined in 2008, 2009, it was really more about the culture, right? And, and I think it still very much is. And, and sure. that's, you know, in my consulting company, that's what I try to tell everybody is, you know, it's definitely culture, but it's also tools as well. And as we know, in 2020, it's moving more towards the tools and the hype and the buzzwords and things like that. So, you know, it's definitely changing drastically. It seems like every few months it's changing. It does seem like the tools are dramatically better, but I still hear this message over and over again, like the tools won't save you. Exactly. Hmm. Uh, you know, because you want to get DevOps in a box, right? If, if I wanted to be that big red button from Staples, just like DevOps, click, <laughs> thanks for playing, right? Yeah, no. And I think that's what a lot of people think it is, right? You know, a lot of people think, you know, hey, if I implement a little bit of this Kubernetes thing and a little bit of this CICD thing, you know, all of my problems are going to go away. And it's not the case at all. Sure. Yeah. And and you know, certainly from an IT perspective, this idea of writing code more and more, not that we didn't always write some code, but it seems like today, especially that infrastructure service mindset is you're, you, instead of making a word doc, you're making something that runs, it's, it's compilable. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, years ago it was like, Hey, let's write a little bit of VB script or let's write a little bit of batch. But now, you know, as an IT professional, regardless of what your title is, you're a developer. 
developer, mm-hmm. right? You're writing some sort of code, whether you're writing five lines of code or you're writing 200 lines of code or you're writing PowerShell or Python or Bash or whatever the case may be, you are a developer. But the other thing as an IT guy, I wrote code that only I ever ran, right? I carried it around on a three and a half inch floppy at one time because I'm that old. Uh, or now I carried around on a USB key, but it's my scripts for me. But more and more, I'm seeing organizations where they actually want to check that source code into that, that code into source control and other people can do work on it and other people can run it. I think that's a very significant change in thinking. Yeah, it's definitely funny because I remember writing a whole bunch of PowerShell, putting it into a OneDrive folder in an old organization and then trying to implement source control. And everybody was like, well, why? And and that's really where it all started, yeah. I think. <laughs> Yeah, but I also think, you know, you t- I, I want to make a book. I've never, I haven't done it, but I think because I'm working on so many other things, but it's like DevOps for parties, right? This mindset of when do you throw a party on your DevOps path? And one of those moments to throw a party is when operations comes to dev and says, hey, talk to us about this source control thing, because I think we need it. Like, that's a good time to have a party because you're starting to acknowledge that the code that ops writes also need source control. Right. Yeah, no. And everybody, I feel like really right now, everybody's just together, right? You know, operations are working very closely with development. Development folks are working very closely with operations. People are storing their code in the same place. They're running it in the same place. It's it's a magical world that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when you're building out this path, I'm thinking this from a dev perspective, because, you know, happily wearing both hats, you're building out the package that is an application. Part of it is that infrastructure, right? We used to do this with a Word doc where you're like, okay, now, you know, re- you know, install this, build that, and, and now you can actually do it with script. Right, yeah, and it's very much both, you know, like when, like you said, in your continuous integration portion and you're building an artifact, right, and you're mm-hmm. building that code, it's, yeah, you know what, a lot of it is development. You're running mock tests. Maybe you're running some automated QA testing, right? But then it's like, where is this running? Yeah. Is it running on a Microsoft-hosted agent in a container? Is it running on a self-hosted agent? Is it running on, you know, some sort of slave where it's, you know, a container or it's a virtual machine? And that's really where the operation side comes into play. So you got a preferred set of tools for those pieces? What do you like to use? Yeah, you know what? I'm definitely a big Azure DevOps guy. Uh-huh. I love Azure DevOps. I love Jenkins. I've recently been working a lot with GitHub Actions, which is phenomenal. That's the new tool. Uh, Yep, exactly. You know, a lot of Octopus Deploy, there's there's a ton of really great tools out there, but I definitely think my favorite is Azure DevOps right now. Yeah. And so what what is, you know, we think Azure DevOps immediately is like, is this a dev tool, is it an ops tool? Like who picks this up first? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely say that both. Uh, and let me explain why I say both, because when you think about a traditional CI CD tool, right, you think about pure continuous integration, and continuous delivery, and you really think about that from a development perspective. However, with Azure DevOps, there's a lot of different things in there. Mm-hmm. There's a, 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 a like a confluence page, right, where you can write documentation, uh, very much like a Jira, right? Or there's work items, very much like a Kanban board. There are tests that can be ran. So it's it's really a one-stop shop for everybody. And I hate to use the term single pane of glass, right? But from that perspective, it certainly is, in my opinion. Yeah, because I generally see CI, CD pipelines built by dev, 
Like that, that's sort of the starting of this path. And then at some point, operations has some responsibility into it. But the, the setting up the infrastructure as a service piece is very much an ops thing. You know, they're the ones that are building the scripts to stand up VMs or containers or however that, that your particular app, that particular app needs to live. They've got to integrate into that workflow. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely think the bigger part of operations is CD. And because, you know, let's say you're spinning up an application and it's running on IIS, right? Yep. For that application to run on IIS, you need to connect to maybe a virtual machine, right? And then within a virtual machine, you have a deployment group and, you know, really who's setting that up because mm-hmm. you need, a, you know, a service account and you need the connection from a networking perspective. And that's really where everybody starts to dive deep into it together. Yeah, we have some security rules in place of what you're allowed to do and how those things are supposed to be configured, firewall needs, and then, you know, what VMs, what containers, what instances of everything, whether it's in Azure or not. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. 100%. And Azure DevOps, you don't have to, that runs in Azure, but you don't have to deploy to, to Azure. You could be deploying onto into an on-prem system. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could deploy to ESX. You could deploy to Hyper-V. Mm-hmm. You could even deploy to AWS or DigitalOcean if you want. Sure. The other the other beautiful thing, too, is you can deploy to another CICD tool. I, I've deploy to Jenkins from Azure DevOps. I've deployed to Octopus Deploy from Azure DevOps. You can literally deploy anywhere. Now, why would you do that? Like, I, I get that you can, but it's like, uh, how did we get here that we're deploying to another deployment tool? Yeah. So I would say primarily for the features. So some people like, you know, say the way Jenkins does builds, mm-hmm. right? So let's say you want to have your CI portion or your build portion, your artifacts being stored in Jenkins, right? However, you want to be able to use that artifact in Azure DevOps. That's really where you would get the mix. The other thing too is, you know, let's say you want a pure continuous delivery tool like Octopus Deploy, right? That's really where you would have, you know, one portion managing your CI, one portion managing your CD. A few weeks ago, I did a show with Michael Richardson talking about the uh, the Octopus Deploy run books. And we have an exactly that conversation of from an IT perspective, once I've committed to having the Octopus Deploy agent on my VMs or in on these machines, the more things I can use it for, the better. So it makes me, ha- I would rather deploy fewer things to each of those machines. If Octopus Deploy is what, what we're already using, I want to keep using it. Yep, exactly. 100%. And, you know, like I said, there's different reasons to use different tools. You know, for example, with Octopus Deploy, they're very big in .NET. So maybe your shop is purely .NET, but maybe you started out with Jenkins, right? Right. So, you know, you'll still be using the old one, but you'll want to use the new one as well. So Dev's going to come at me happy with Jenkins and I can, they're going to do the CI part, the testing and integration and so forth is all going to be happening there. Now I have a package from them. I could pick it up into Azure DevOps, add this infrastructure stuff to it, get it ready to go into deployment. Exactly. Yeah. Really your artifact is really just code packaged up, you know, think about mm-hmm. it like an EXE or, you know, a, another kind of package. You MSIs, really just package up any the of those code. Things. Yeah. However, exactly. the, yep. however, whatever bundle that code is in and the whole, that, exactly. that whole testing role. Well, testing role is interesting because you definitely need a deployment environment for testing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So 
testing, it really depends on what type of test. So what I like to do is, you know, you have your standard QA testing, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you want to automate that QA testing. Yeah. That would go into your, say, your continuous integration portion or your mock tests or any type of unit test that would go into your continuous integration as well. So you definitely need an environment for that, you know, or you could just write up some mock tests and throw that into the artifact as well while it's being built. Yeah, I've had a few organizations where we got big on getting testing done in a low enough amount of time that developers wouldn't move on to the next thing before that integration test came back to them. So we were splitting out thousands of web tests across multiple instances of the of the application on the cloud. And it was that was all had to be fully automated. You wouldn't do it any other way. Our goal was to get it down under 15 minutes. The the wow. think the thinking was this. And it was more more of a project manager role. 15 minutes is enough time for a dev to celebrate that they've actually checked in a piece of code that they think works <laughs> and go get a coffee, but not enough time to get started on something else. So that by the time they get back from coffee, if I can spit out that report, all the code they just worked on still in their head. Right. And so the time to fix is really short. It seemed uh, we came to that 15 minutes over experience for a while. It was an hour, but an hour was enough time that they were already pretty distracted. Time to fix got really short when we was only 15 minutes. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. I mean, and I think that holds true for anything in automation in general, right? It's a really bad practice to be working on one thing and then try to work on something else and then bounce back to that other thing. And, you know, our minds aren't wired that way. And we started out that, that particular organization I was working with, we started out only running full integration tests once a week. So you had guys that were checking in code and yeah, it was, it was going through unit tests and stuff and being built. But the full up build only happened once a week because it was so big. By the time, you know, that happened over the weekend, by the time Monday came along, it could have been a week since somebody touched a piece of code. They're now getting errors back on. Like you could almost give it to anyone at that point. In some ways, it didn't matter. They were so far removed from it. They had to learn it all again. Right. And that's really where CI and CD come into play is that constant feedback, right? You know, we used to live in a time where, like you said, developers didn't know what was happening with their code. And, you know, this could even be a six month thing, you know, and then when you try to put your code into production, that's when everything breaks or you try to put it into QA or UAT and everything breaks, right? So really with that continuous integration, that continuous delivery, you have the ability to get constant feedback and understand exactly what's happening. If your code doesn't build, well, you got a problem. Yeah. Well, and, the, and even if it does build, but it doesn't work, right? Like that, right. It is challenging when you have a lot of developers working together to, to get quick to a place where you can see where there's integration failures of some kind or there's functionality failures that are, that are tougher to see. It's not, you can't, you're not going to pick those up in unit tests. I, yeah, no, absolutely. I do see operations has a significant role in all of this. That, you know, building out automation to build out that, to create infrastructure as a service quickly so that you can do testing at that speed. Uh, you know, that, that's not something the devs are ever going to get together, right? That, it takes ops folks to make that happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially with things like infrastructure as code, you know, you're building an entire environment. So like you said, let's say you have some sort of QA environment that you need to test against. You know, you got to build a virtual network. You got to build some subnets. Right. You got to put some ciders in those subnets. 
And pa- I mean, that's the great thing with the cloud. We did this with test hardware that we would distribute multiple instances of the app and parallelize the tests as it was right. long enough ago. It was before the cloud. But today, the fact that you could just harness a group of machines for 20 minutes that you rent from the cloud and then shut them all down again. That's huge. Exactly. Yep. And you could even say, put that in your continuous delivery portion where, you know, everything runs. And then at the end, if you got all green check marks, it'll shut down your virtual machines for you. Yeah. Just clean it back up again. Right. It's, yep. it, it's, it's a very different way to think about testing and, and having ops play a role in providing a massive amount of infrastructure briefly to run those the, that deep set of tests. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe a rabbit hole, but, you know, you could do the same thing with containers as well, where yeah. you could spin up a container test and then spin it down. Yeah. Well, you'd hope you, you know, we certainly us as the folks on the hook for the for the bills. You make sure you turn stuff off again, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Michael, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. PowerShell is a great admin tool for automating recurring tasks. Wouldn't it be great if you could delegate PowerShell to others in a secure and easy way? ScriptRunner is the leading solution for PowerShell management. You can delegate PowerShell scripts to help desk and end users with the easy-to-use web application. On top of that, ScriptRunner offers you a central place for all your PowerShell scripts, credentials, and activities. Want to learn more about PowerShell scripting? Get your free PowerShell cheat sheet for your office. It shows all important commands and commandlets at a glance. Visit the website at scriptrunner.com runas and order your free poster today. ScriptRunner, making PowerShell a real solution. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Michael Levin. We're talking a bit about Azure DevOps and the sort of modern CI CD pipeline. What do you code infrastructure as a service in? Like as an ops person, you know, when you want to provision out all that stuff, what's the language? What's the tooling? Like, what do you like for that? Yeah. So as an ops person, especially more in the Microsoft realm, mm. I'll definitely move towards either ARM templates or Terraform. Okay. Terraform has been a very, very big thing for me. I'm actually writing a book on Terraform. So it's been super huge for me. I really love it. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different than the other languages for infrastructure as code and the fact that it's immutable. Um, so for the infrastructure as code portion, I'll definitely use Terraform for that. And yeah, it's interesting you talk about immutability, that, that sort of mindset, which is not something that ops people normally think about, but that's how containers work too, right? Like you don't, you don't update a container, you destroy it and remake it with a modified script. Exactly. Yeah. The, the whole reason that you want a container is exactly what you said. You want it to spin up and do a thing and then go away. Yeah. And, and forget about it. This is the, the servers as cattle mindset versus yeah. <laughs> the servers as pets. Which yep. I think is hard for fe- people to really get to into this mindset of we well, just make new ones. That's what I like about that big test harness we were talking about before the break is like that is the ultimate cattle example. You know, for 15 minutes, I had several hundred VMs doing work for me to resolve these tests quickly. And then we destroyed it all because it was done. Right. Yeah. And I think it's just a a crazy mindset because people aren't used to that, right? People are used to having to click next, 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 or run a bunch of shell commands to get their Linux server up. And then after a while, it's like, hey, you know what? We can't spin this down and spin it back up because it takes a really long time. Yeah. And that's where the idea of infrastructure as code comes into play because it's like, well, you know, it really doesn't take a long time to do it. So what's the code in Terraform look like? What's Is there a particular language you're writing in? Yeah, so it's in the HCL language, uh, and that's in like HashiCorp's default language. Right. 
And pretty much what it looks like is, so you define a resource with the keyword resource, and then you specify a resource, you know, Azure RM virtual machines, right? And then you have, it, it's a bracket-based language, so you have brackets, and then those brackets wrap around parameters, essentially. So what you're passing in, the resource group name, the location, the name of your virtual machine, for example, or how many virtual machines there are going to be, things like that. So it's, it's very straightforward to get across. You know, it's not like looking at ARM templates or CloudFormation where it's this huge JSON and, you know, it takes you a little while to understand what's happening. I, I think Terraform is a, a very readable infrastructure as code language. You know, they told us that about JSON too, right? exactly yeah And, and i think that's why a lot of people are really moving towards things like terraform because as great as cloud formation and arm is it's really difficult to read and it's so verbose for what it actually needs to do you know and and i actually read a blog post a few months back where somebody was like all right we're going to take 300 lines of arm and then we're going to do the same thing in six lines with az cli and and it really gets you thinking az cli yep yep what is that az cli is azure's command line tool Uh, Uh, yeah exactly so you know you could spin up pretty much anything that you want uh virtual machines networks anything so it could be doing this from as scripts in in the command line interface too oh yeah absolutely I, i definitely think it's the ability to understand exactly what your organization wants to do and what direction the organization wants to go in in terms of you know what people's strengths are um you know you could do it in az cli you Mm -hmm. could even do it in powershell right like you don't need infrastructure as code you could do it in and you could even do it in python if you wanted to well i mean powershell serves as infrastructure as code as well exactly with dsc yep yeah but uh, but i would argue you know, Terraform sort of purpose built and it seems platform agnostic, like uh, Azure ARM, Azure CLI, those are Azure products. If you're only living in Azure, fine, but at least Terraform speaks to any platform. Right. Yeah. So Terraform has something called providers and Mm -hmm. what providers are is exactly what you just explained. You can pick AWS, you can pick VMware, you can pick Cloudflare to do DNS entries, anything that you want. Right. So it, it seems like it's the superset tool compared to a bunch of these others. Or is it missing capabilities that I would be better served in ARM templates? I don't think it's missing capabilities. I just think that it's, you know, pick the right tool for the job. Right. And, you know, for example, let's say you're thinking of infrastructure as code versus configuration management, right? Mm-hmm. If I was using configuration management, maybe I'd use something like Ansible instead. Right. Yeah. We end up, as you move down this sort of CICD path with this kit of tools that the different pieces steps in at different times. Right. Yep, exactly. And, and, you know, it's even great for spinning up your development environments at home, right? I, I think the big thing is that it e- even let's just say you're spinning up, you know, servers at home to do some sort of testing, right? You could even use CICD and Terraform and all these other tools to make your life a lot easier. I have a bunch of pipelines where if I want to spin up a Jenkins server or I want to spin up a Nagio server or, you know, just a raw Ubuntu server, I have pipelines that do it for me so I don't have to do it manually. Who wants to do that, right? Yeah, but this also speaks to this, this DevOps mindset of as production is configured, so is test configured and so is development configured. That they all Everybody's... Uh, Machines should be configured with infrastructure as code. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just for the ease of use, right? You know, you don't have to do apt install anymore or yum yeah. install anymore. You know, you can configure that and define all that right for you in, in, in configuration management. And not be surprised. Like, it's yeah. a whole <laughs> class of errors that go away if everybody's configuration comes from one source that matches what ultimately lives in production. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, code doesn't lie, right? Code yeah. is the code and source control shows the history. And if something changes, you'll know. Yeah. And if it, if it used to compile it can compile again you just need to roll back exactly yep yep and, and to, to revert to the right place yep and, and that definitely takes away the manual aspect right and you know we used to live in a world where you'd have 10 sysadmins and everybody's doing something different or yeah. everybody's jumping into one server doing one thing another person's jumping into the same server doing something else and you don't need to live in that world anymore you can really live in a world that you know exactly what's going on i've often seen ansible and terraform showed now i don't so much as competitors, but it's like either or. Why do you use them together? Yeah. So I, I think of infrastructure as code as something like Terraform. And then right. I think of configuration management as something like Ansible. Okay. And I do think that people mix those terms up and they maybe use one tool for one thing, right? Or one tool for both things. Right. Now you can do that. You know, you can use say Ansible to do your infrastructure as code and to do your configuration management. But like you said earlier, they serve different purposes, right? Sure. So, you know, Terraform is really geared towards spin me up this infrastructure. And then Ansible is really geared towards, I just spun up 10 SQL servers with Terraform and now I need to install my SQL 5.8 on all 10 of them at the same time. Right. So they, they fall in different roles, but it still sounds like something I could be doing with PowerShell and DSC. Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, whatever tool you're happiest with. And Ansible is also open source from Red Hat, as I recall, and, right. and free yep. to use if you want to use it. Yeah, so you have two functions. You can either use just Ansible and the engine is open source, or you can use Ansible Tower, which is like your orchestration for Ansible, but that's paid. Right, so there is a paid product if you want you know, to go down that path as well. Which, exactly, yep, I mean, yep. That means you also get tech support and, you know, certain other capabilities, like it, it's fair. This. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can call them anytime, send in, you know, let's say you have an issue with some sort of playbook, right? You can go into, hey, I'm having an issue with this playbook, come help me and they'll come help you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, I think this is the modern way now, right? Open source product, also available in a paid form so that you can get support and, and get those uh, fancier features once you've shown that the product has value to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you get the same thing for a lot of different open source products where, you know, hey, you can use it for free. But if you need help, you got to throw us a little something, which makes sense, right? Everybody's got to get paid. So by that token, because I think you still think there's some energy for some folks around there that like I've never go wrong with Microsoft. Why shouldn't I just be sticking with PowerShell DSC for a bunch and CLI for a bunch of this stuff? Yeah, I don't really think there's a, a right or wrong answer to right. that, to be honest with you. I really feel that it depends on the organization's strengths. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier was there's a ton of DevOps tools, right? Yeah. Now, there's a ton of DevOps tools that do the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of automation tools that do the same thing. So what I what I tell everybody when I'm talking to everybody is pick what you're most comfortable with if it works. You know, there's no right or wrong answer here. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. And, and they all seem to play well with each other to some degree. At least right. when I look at it from the, uh, the Azure DevOps level, which is sort of the top of the 
the overarching pipeline, all these different tools plug into that without a whole lot of hassle. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and let's say you're thinking of, say, Terraform, for example, or Ansible, but you got a little PowerShell love that you want to throw into. Mm. You can even run your PowerShell scripts from Ansible, from Terraform. So they really work together. Cool. Where does GitHub Actions fit into this equation? Yeah, so GitHub Actions CI/CD specifically is a newer CI/CD tool, mm-hmm. and essentially where it fits in is pretty much the same place where Octopus Deploy or Jenkins would fit in, in the sense that you know, let's say you have you know a pipeline that you want to run from GitHub, but you also want to integrate it into Azure DevOps. You can do that as well, depending on your workflow. Now, I think the biggest part of GitHub Actions CI/CD and why it's becoming so popular right now is because think about it everybody of every developer has some repo in GitHub right sure. or at least 90% of them so the fact that here's your code now you don't have to go anywhere else now you can deploy your code and build your code in the same place where your code exists that's a beautiful thing yeah and it, but it also speaks to if this is not a project that lives in github already github actions are not necessarily a useful thing for you right yeah no that's definitely a good way to think about it too mm-hmm. yep absolutely and you know with a lot of these tools with jenkins with azure devops they also tie into github very easily with a little bit of authentication as well so there's definitely multiple ways to look at it i I, I really think with, you know, things like this, there's honestly no right or wrong answer. I, 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 you know, it's, it's not clear, right? Or which one's the winner. It's really more of the, which one is getting more love, which one is getting more support, which one has more features <laughs> essentially. But it does start to feel like if you are, this is a dev conversation, essentially it is, are the developers working in GitHub? And so we should be using tooling coming out of GitHub to get to an integrated uh, code base. Or are they working in uh, TFS or any you know any of the Microsoft stores or or some other uh, source control where we we got to use different set of tools to the best way to get that stuff compiled? Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's definitely a good point. Is you know, there's all of these tools, right? So if you're already in GitHub, do you just stay in GitHub or do you take the time and POC and get an MVP out there for integrating Jenkins or integrating right. Azure DevOps? And I think that really comes down to you know, the organization's time and how much time they want to dedicate to it. But I still see, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that Azure DevOps sort of sits at the top of the stack if you're living in the Microsoft world, that this is the tool that gives you the overview of the entire process from developer checks code into through testing into this is a, uh, a build ready to deploy to production at a click of a button. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and even from a code perspective, right? So Azure DevOps has Azure repos and Azure repos is just a Git repo where you throw your code in. So you don't even have to use GitHub, for example. Right. Right. So you can really have everything right there. And and Azure DevOps is at the tippy top. That's pretty cool. So uh, where should folks get started if they haven't already gone down this path or the, you know, dev has done a few things and they're trying to get a more unified approach to the, to the overall? Yeah. So I definitely think, you know, let's say you're trying to to implement this into your organization. The first place where I tell everybody to start is the conversation of talking to everybody. Sure. Right. So get front end in the room, get back end in the room, get QA in the room, you know, get the different software departments in the room and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Do a little whiteboarding and get an idea of what everybody thinks. Uh, I, because the thing is, is that this is a very crucial step because you can't have a tool that nobody wants to use, right? Everybody has to work together, right? This is, this is a very much of a 
cultural implementation mm-hmm. as it is a technical implementation. And I think that's a really great pa- place to start. Get everybody's ideas, get what's inside everybody's head, have everybody do a little whiteboarding. And then from there, you can really start to pick and choose what tools you want a POC. Yeah, and take it take out for trial. I, exactly. It strikes me that sort of the first steps would be, I want everyone to have a symmetrical environment for, from you know production de- dev and test. Right. And so getting to infrastructure as a code positions on that is useful exactly the scaling up of automated testing is a big win right and, and only possible with big infrastructure as a code implementations mm-hmm. yep no absolutely 100 and that's really where everybody starts to get together right and that's where you want to pull your development teams you want to pull your qa teams because at this point once you're really getting ready to implement a solution everybody's going to have their fingers in the cookie jar. So everybody needs to be comfortable with those cookies. Yeah, it does seem like it's a good role for ops to be directing a part of this too. We do have the Azure keys and and, and this seems to lean on Azure DevOps the most. Uh, as long as we're up to speed with a tool like Terraform so that we can do our part in that pipeline, we're, we're, we're good to go. Yep, absolutely. And then even taking something like Azure DevOps, you know, where it's a part of Azure. So if the cloud engineers or the ops folks are working on Azure, mm-hmm. they're most likely going to be the ones to spin up that first project in Azure DevOps. For sure. Absolutely. So, Michael, what's next for you? Uh, we're going to see you at a conference. Uh, you're working on some new stuff we could take a look at? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, recently I went off on my own and I started, you know, my, my company and freelancing 100% of the time. So, I'm really going to be working on a ton of great content. I'm going to be publishing that content out. I'm going to be putting links on Twitter. Links will be on my website. Everybody will be able to get a good look at that. I'll actually be speaking at Microsoft this coming Wednesday on a remote automation call. And we're going to be going going over Azure DevOps and how to implement that in for Active Directory. And then besides that, pumping out content, writing a few books and, you know, looking forward to the year. For sure. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, buddy. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.